This is Guns and Butter. What I, what I think is important there is that de facto, as of, as of January 12th, Turkey is no longer part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. You may have noticed that the reaction from Washington has been dead silence, and the media as well. Uh, the repercussions on the military-industrial complex are dramatic. And, and whatever happens, Turkey de facto is out of NATO. And with Turkey's withdrawal from NATO, inevitably it will have repercussions and other member states might choose to withdraw from the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show... U.S. foreign policy in shambles, NATO and the Middle East. Michel Chosodovsky is an economist and the founder, director, and editor of the Center for Research on Globalization based in Montreal, Quebec. He is the author of 11 books, including The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, America's War on Terrorism, and The Globalization of War, America's Long War Against Humanity. Today we discuss the recent clash with Iran in the Persian Gulf, Iran as a military power, the breakup of the Gulf Cooperation Council, the flop of the proposed Middle East Strategic Alliance, also known as the Arab NATO, the coup d'etat against Turkish President Erdogan, the geopolitical realignment of the Middle East, and its repercussions on the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Michel Chosodovsky, welcome. Uh, yes, good morning. Delighted to be on the program. In June, Iran shot down an unmanned U.S. drone that Iran claimed was in his airspace. This was followed by threats from President Trump. Two days later, Trump announced that U.S. jets were headed toward targets in Iran, but that he called off the strike 10 minutes before engagement. What do you make of this bizarre statement? Well, that statement is full of contradictions. And, in fact, the media coverage of that event seems to have excluded one very important element, namely that the Al-Udaid Air Force Base in Qatar, from which these air raids would have been launched, and which also constitutes the headquarters, the forward headquarters of U.S. Central Command, happened to be in a country which is the closest ally of the Islamic Republic of Iran, namely Qatar. Uh, Qatar and Iran share the largest maritime natural gas base in the world. From an economics and an energy point of view, it's absolutely strategic. But bear in mind, 
U.S. Central Command Headquarters confirmed the deployment of U.S. Air Force F-22 stealth fighters following Trump's statement out of Qatar. And they also made a statement to the fact that this was to defend American forces and interests in the region. Now, how is it that U.S. foreign policy architects didn't take the trouble to verify that this particular military base, which is technically the property of Qatar, which is an emirate, and which is most probably one of the largest uh, air force operations on the planet. I, I'm quoting the Washington Times. Okay, Now, U.S. sent commands forward Middle East headquarters is located in enemy territory. Now, either people are absolutely stupid in, uh, you know, in the State Department or, or the Pentagon, or they, they, they simply know well in advance that they can't do this. That location is not appropriate because it's a country which is swarming with uh, Iranian business people, security personnel, the Russians and the Chinese are there. Qatar is no longer under the, the helm of, of Saudi Arabia. It has declared its, uh, its alliance with, with Iran. And then, uh, ironically, the Atlantic Council, which is a think tank closely tied both to the Pentagon and NATO, has confirmed that Qatar is now firmly allied with both Iran and Turkey. And uh, you can't really go around that. So what is it? Sloppy military planning, sloppy U.S. foreign policy, sloppy intelligence. I personally believe that there was never a plan to launch a war against Iran from their forward U.S. Central Command headquarters in enemy territory. It's an impossibility. But there are other elements um, beside that is the whole structure of U.S. military alliances is in such a mess that, uh, that a conventional theater war against Iran is virtually impossible. In your most recent article, A Major Conventional War Against Iran is an Impossibility, Crisis Within the U.S. Command Structure, you explore two crucial areas that make a U.S. attack on Iran not a winning strategy, i.e., Iran's military power and the evolving structure of military alliances. First of all, how do you assess Iran as a military power? Well, Iran has, has um, advanced capabilities, and it also has a very large... Um, ground forces. It's a country of 90 million people. Uh, we're not dealing with an Iraq 2003 situation where the, the country had already been destroyed. Uh, we're dealing with uh, a country which has advanced capabilities, in many regards comparable to those of Turkey, and which has some very powerful allies. Iran is allied with Russia. We know that. Now, I don't think that Russia will intervene 
but the S-400, which has recently been delivered to Turkey, is now slated to be delivered to Iran. This is also something which military analysts and the media, the Western media, have failed to address. Iran, um, if you go back to 2003, when Donald Rumsfeld formulated um, a blitzkrieg directed against the Islamic Republic of, of Iran, well, there was a plan back in, back in 2003 in the wake of the Iraq war and going on to 2005. But even, and they had what they called an encirclement of, uh, of Iran. Now, when they say encirclement of Iran, that means that neighboring countries are proxies of the United States. They will take orders, they're linked to NATO and so on. But even then, the, the national security advice was to postpone that war. The conditions for waging the war in 2003-2005 were, were there. And they favored the United States, but even there they hesitated because, precisely because Iran had, had missile capabilities, extensive ground force, and despite the encirclement, they uh, postponed that uh, military operation. And, and there are various scenarios which were formulated. But today, let's look at the geography uh, or the geopolitics of, of that region. Turkey has, the, has a border with Iran, and Turkey is the heavyweight in NATO. And Turkey now has, has excellent uh, relations with its neighboring country. It's not a formal military alliance, but they are, uh, they are on very good terms. And Turkey now has signified to the United States you won't be able to wage a war against Iran from Turkish territory, either in terms of ground forces or, or air forces, etc. Uh, but if you, look at the, if you look at the map, there's not a single country there on which uh, the United States can rely to, uh, to help them, including Iraq. The Iraqi government has said, no, we, are, we, we will not allow for the movement of, of U.S. forces uh, in, in Iraq uh, towards the Iranian border. Uh, now, the other pivot there is Pakistan. Now, as we recall, some several years back, Pakistan was the staunch ally of the United States. It's no longer the staunch ally of the United States, it's the staunch ally of China. And um, the United States will not be able to rely on Pakistan in a war directed against Iran. Uh, they've lost Pakistan. Pakistan is no longer a military ally. And then you have, well, then you have several of the former Soviet republics which, uh, which had partnership agreements with NATO, good bilateral relations with the United States. I'm thinking of Azerbaijan. Well, just last December, Iran and uh, Azerbaijan signed military cooperation agreements, uh, and that means that uh, the United States cannot rely on Azerbaijan. Similarly, it can't rely on Turkmenistan. Uh, it's impossible to wage a war out of Afghanistan because the Taliban occupied a large part of the, 
of the national territory, so that a ground war is an impossibility. And an air war is uh, a sort of traditional air war, I think, is also an impossibility because there are questions of airspace. And we know that the United States relies heavily on its allies to do the dirty work. Um, then, of course, there's Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. And the Gulf Cooperation Council, uh, the GCC, is split down the middle with um, Qatar, Oman, and Kuwait in favor of normalizing relations with Iran. And in the case of Qatar, it goes beyond that. But can the United States rely on Kuwait and Oman? In no way. Oman has, Oman has very good relations with Iran on the one hand, and it also controls the entry to the Strait of Hormuz from the Gulf of Oman into the Persian Gulf. And if you look at the geography, well, of course, Pakistan controls part of the Arabian Sea. And if you look at naval uh, access to U.S. military facilities in the Persian Gulf, it's not an easy task. You still have to go in and out. And you're going in and out through either through Iranian territorial waters or through those of Oman. And now with a split down the middle of that Gulf Cooperation Council, um, you have several of those countries, emirates, which are uh, strategically favoring Iran instead of the United States. And um, there's a whole geopolitical dimension to that, because, for instance, um, the United States has um, military bases in, in Kuwait. It has military bases in Bahrain. And, um, and then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, it has military bases in Qatar, which is aligned with Iran. So it's very difficult for them to wage a naval operation when the Gulf Cooperation Council, which of course is a U.S. project initially, is in crisis. Now, another element is that just just about uh, a couple of months back, the United States had sponsored what was called the Arab NATO. It was the Middle East Strategic Alliance. And it was supposed to be inaugurated in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And uh, it really never got off the ground because this was a project to integrate the Gulf Cooperation Council with two other countries, which were Jordan and, and Egypt. Now, Egypt uh, decided to drop out, and in fact, they boycotted this meeting, which was held in Riyadh, and Trump was there. That was his second, uh, you know, visit to, to Saudi Arabia. Earlier, he'd gone in 2017, and in 2017, they actually launched the, the Arab NATO, and what it actually resulted in was the, was the rupture of the Gulf Cooperation Council, 
Uh, and now this Arab NATO virtually is defunct. It's, it's not working. There's, there's no body of countries in, maybe with the exception of, of, of the Emirates and Saudi Arabia, that whole region now is shifting at least either it's becoming neutral and normalizing its relations with Iran, or it's, in the case of um, Qatar, it's an actual ally of Iran. Uh, so it's a big mess. The structure of alliances is disrupted. And then the question is, how do you wage a war if you don't have allies? I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, U.S. foreign policy in shambles, NATO and the Middle East. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, with regard to the evolving structure of military alliances, in May of 2017, the Gulf Cooperation Council, that is Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Bahrain, and Oman, split apart. What happened? Well, this is a very uh, complex issue. Um, there was uh, a meeting which took place in Riyadh when Trump first came to Riyadh. It was on the 21st of May. Okay? Now, on the 21st of May 2017, there was what was called the U.S. Islamic Summit took place. Now, um, again, the media never really looks at the chronology of these uh, these important events and, and the interrelationship. But what happened on the 21st of May 2017 with the approval of U.S. officials was the endorsement of a proposed Middle East Strategic Alliance, uh, which was composed of uh, Egypt, Jordan, the six nations of the GCC, namely Saudi Arabia, the UAE, the Emirates, uh, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, and Oman. Okay, and and uh, yes, and I said Egypt, Egypt and Jordan are also included. So that all in all, that Arab NATO was supposed to be an alliance of eight countries, which would then uh, have the mandate, and that mandate was explicit, was essentially to confront Iran or to confront Iranian uh, influence in, in the Middle East. Now, what happened is that two days later, on May 23, 2017, uh, Saudi Arabia ordered a blockade and embargo of Qatar uh, following alleged statements that the Emir of Qatar uh, was uh, supporting Iran. And I, I think that statement is correct. Uh, Qatar was aligning itself with Iran, and essentially uh, they most probably, at the meeting on May 21st, they had decided to exclude Qatar from the Arab NATO. Okay? That was, I think that was the scenario. We, we go ahead with Arab NATO ceremoniously uh, adopted on the 21st of May, knowing 
that one of of the member states of the of the GCC was sleeping with the enemy, namely Iran, and then two days later, embargo. It was an act of war. It was the embargo, cutting off of borders, uh, uh, cutting of naval and sea routes, and essentially isolating Qatar. But what happened uh, was not what they wanted to happen. What they wanted was to go from GCC with six member states to GCC with five member states. And what happened is that this uh, triggered a crisis within the GCC with uh, Kuwait and Oman siding with Qatar. And so that the, the GCC was split down the middle and uh, and as a consequence, the Arab NATO, <laughs> the Arab NATO, which was conceived on the 21st of, of May with um, eight members, went down to five. And then subsequently, uh, what happened is that Egypt withdrew. Uh, and, and essentially, you've only got about four countries now, uh, which are part of the core of that, of that Arab NATO, which are essentially uh, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, and uh, Bahrain, and, and Jordan. There are four countries which are firmly behind it. So, again, that's a flop. In other words, the United States, the Trump administration, has virtually lost its uh, GCC alliance in the Middle East, and not only that, it has its uh, central command headquarter forward base in enemy territory. I give them a C minus as far as foreign policy is concerned. Since Qatar and Iran have joint ownership of the world's largest maritime gas fields, they needed to be in alliance with one another, it seems to me. What do you think was behind Saudi Arabia's blockade of Qatar? Did Saudi Arabia want the maritime gas fields, or was it simply that Saudi Arabia insisted on the isolation of Iran? Well, I, I think the main objective was to exclude Qatar from Arab NATO and create conditions, perhaps divisions within Qatar, I think the first short-run objective was that, is that they considered that one of the members of the GCC was sleeping with the enemy, and they also indicated very firmly, uh, you can come back into the GCC and so on and restore relations, but then you have to really give up your, your relationship with Iran, which they'll never do, because first of all, that partnership in the North gas fields it's joint ownership, okay? North and South gas fields. It has a territorial division with regard to maritime rights, okay? But this is a joint venture. It's, it's ownership. It's common to two countries. Uh, and that's very important. So for them to abandon that, uh, particularly after the, the embargo, is very unlikely right now. I've been to to Qatar several times since the May 17th occurrence. And I, I can say, um, first of all, public opinion is very, very anti-Saudi, even though they, they have proximity in cultural terms and 
they have Qataris living in Saudi Arabia, but the, the way this was handled was so brutal, it's unlikely that Qatar will ever go back into an alliance with, with Saudi Arabia. So it's Saudi Arabia which is being isolated. It's not Qatar. And, and it's certainly not Iran. Iran has gained several of America's staunch allies. It has gained Qatar. It has also gained Oman and Kuwait. Not to say that these are countries which are allied strategically with Iran, but they, they entertain good relations. And then, if you look at it more broadly, Iran has good relations with Azerbaijan. It has good relations with Turkey. It has good relations with Iraq. Okay? And, of course, it has excellent relations with Pakistan. And uh, that's important because the, the whole issue of Balochistan, uh, where there's a separatist movement, the Baloks um, are both in Iran and in Pakistan. There also there's been a, a shift, and it, it's very much due to the fact that the two governments are now collaborating. So there we are. Uh, and Egypt, of course, which is a powerful country in the Middle East, has signified that it will not join an alliance uh, which is directed against Iran. Not to say that the two countries have good relations, but they have normal relations, uh, Iran and Egypt. But Egypt um, is not going to join a U.S. Uh, project directed against Iran. Since the Al-Udaid base near Doha, Qatar, is America's largest military base in the Middle East, why would the U.S. or President Trump support a land, air, and sea blockade of Qatar? <laughs> yeah, well, this is, uh, yeah, uh, well, I'm not, well, de facto, they're supporting the land, air, sea uh, blockade because they're supporting Saudi Arabia, but there's still trade relations and there's, there's a military cooperation agreement. In fact, the U.S. attitude is, is rather weird because they have signed a new military cooperation agreement with, um, with Qatar, and they are acting as if nothing has happened. So um, they have signed with Qatar a bilateral agreement, but they have not raised the fact that Qatar is sleeping with the enemy or has relations. They haven't imposed any, any kind of um, conditions on Qatar with regard to their relations with Iran. Okay? And uh, Trump uh, met the emir of Qatar at the United Nations uh, General Assembly two years ago in, in October 2017. And um, you see, it's a very, it's a very contradictory type of relationship. They don't want to say we're moving out of Qatar and putting our central command headquarters somewhere else. They, they're not intimating that they're doing that. Some of the command structures have been moved inevitably. And, and again, central command operates uh, out of Florida. But the, the forward base in the Middle East is, is crucial. 
you know, the thing is, I, I, I think that they don't want to, Washington does not want to take on decisions of a controversial nature which would more or less reveal that Qatar is playing a double role. It's hosting a U.S. military facility, and at the same time, it has very good relations uh, with, with the enemy. So that, that's the, the situation. And, and mind you, that kind of attitude is unfolding with regard to Turkey's recent acquisition of the S-400 air defense system from, from Russia, which de facto means that Russia, we've known this for years, but Russia and Turkey are now military allies because the air defense system requires military cooperation at, at a high level. You're not just selling equipment. You are cooperating in terms of training. You are uh, consulting one another. There's a whole geopolitics behind it. And what I, what I think is important there is that de facto, as of, as of January 12th, Turkey is no longer part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Now, you may have noticed that the reaction from Washington has been dead silence, and the media as well. They, they say, well, there are sanctions if you do it. And, uh, you know, uh, we will exclude you from the F-35 um, jet fighter program, which is a NATO program. Uh, the repercussions on the military-industrial complex are dramatic because we're, we're seeing now the competition between Russia and the United States with regard to the sale of, of weapons. So it's billions and billions of dollars of revenue which, which are at stake. But at the moment, I don't think the United States is saying, uh, Turkey, get the hell out of, of NATO. They're not going to say that. But what is possible is that Turkey will say, we are withdrawing from NATO. And, and whatever happens, um, Turkey de facto is out of NATO. Now, if from a, let's say more from, a, from a, a narrative point of view and public relations, we still want Turkey to stay in NATO to, you know, not to disrupt. But eventually that's going to come up. And with Turkey's withdrawal from NATO, inevitably it will have repercussions and other member states might choose to withdraw from the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's what we call NATO exit, not to be confused with Brexit. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, U.S. foreign policy in shambles, NATO and the Middle East. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. You write that the U.S.-Israel-Turkey Triple Alliance is now a new 
triple entente between Turkey, Iran, and Russia. This sounds like a very major shift in geopolitical alliances, which you've just been starting to describe. What were the major forces driving this shift? Well, you see, back in the 90s, um, there was an alliance between Israel and, and Turkey. It was a bilateral alliance, and it was a very close alliance between Turkey and Israel. Now, without going into the details, that alliance collapsed, uh, and it also collapsed in relation to uh, the actions of Israel against the Palestinian Solidarity Movement and the, remember the Mavi Marmara boat, which was attacked by, by IDF forces. But it would appear that that alliance is dead. The bilateral relationship between uh, Israel and Turkey uh, and uh, the bilateral relationship between the United States and Turkey is also, well, it's still there, but it, it's also in a crisis situation. And the, the tripartite alliance, Israel, Turkey, U.S., or U.S., uh, Israel, Turkey, was really based on two separate bilateral agreements. But it, it's certainly uh, relevant now that that alliance between uh, Turkey and, and Israel was very crucial in as much as it was directed, well, it was also directed against Syria, okay? It was directed against Syria and it was directed against uh, Iran. And there was exchange of intelligence, so on and so forth. So there we have another element. Let's say we're talking about a war in Iran. Of course, Israel is, is obviously a major partner of the United States and NATO in that project. But there's another element in uh, U.S.-Israeli relations uh, is that, in effect... Uh, Israel also has an unspoken and unofficial alliance with the Russian Federation. And we've seen this evolving. Uh, Netanyahu has a personal relationship with Putin. Uh, I'm not passing any judgments. I'm, this is simply very factual. We have to understand they have a close personal relations. We must also understand that many of the senior officers of the armed forces are from the former Soviet Union. They have families in, in, in the Russian Federation. So that there's a tacit uh, bilateral relationship between Israel and Russia, which uh, has developed over, over a number of years, which means that if there's any kind of military involvement of Israel, um, direct against Iran, which is an ally of Russia, there may be consultations to that effect. There may be consultations at that very high level of the military and intelligence establishment of those two countries. And now, just a few weeks back, the national security advisors of the U.S., Israel, and Russia met in Jerusalem. Um, Despite all the, you know, all the, the conflicts which exist between, between the U.S. and Russia, the, the national security advisors, they were, had friendly conversations. Uh, 
But I think what was more important were the friendly conversations between Israel and, and Russia. So, again, alliances historically are built between sovereign countries, but there is what we would describe as cross-cutting coalitions. Cross-cutting coalitions means that you are allied with with countries which are allied with your enemies, okay? So um, Russia has a cross-cutting coalition with Israel, and Israel has an alliance with the United States and with NATO. In other words, the Russian foreign policy has been extremely astute in building these alliances, and so has China for that matter. You have written that Israel and Turkey were close partners with the U.S. in planned aerial attacks on Iran since 2005. If Turkey is now de facto exiting NATO and this alliance between Turkey and Israel is defunct, then it seems that these 2005 plans to attack Iran are also defunct. They are absolutely defunct. Yes, they are. Uh, Turkey is not going to participate in any kind of aerial attacks on Iran because it has a military cooperation agreement with Iran. As simple as that. Well, I'm not sure at what level. And then uh, I personally don't think that Israel is the staunch partner uh, that it was um, back in 2005. I'm saying staunch partner of the United States, because I, I, I mean, I recall during the, the Bush administration, Dick Cheney intimated, well, we'll let Israel do it for us, okay? So that they were inciting Israel to, to actually bomb Iran uh, with a, well, of course, a selected target, and then it would be uh, presented as an initiative of Israel, with Washington saying, well, you know, they did it for us, but we didn't really ask them to do it. Uh, I, I recall the statements of Dick Cheney at the time, but I don't think that despite the anti-Iran rhetoric uh, in Israel, or by Israeli leaders, including Netanyahu, I don't think that uh, Israel, under any circumstances, would take the first step in uh, an action against Iran. And as far as a broader operation involving allies, I don't think that that will occur. Well, there is an alliance between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which was really built by the United States. And um, the United States thinks that they can have Israel and Saudi Arabia attack Iran on their behalf. Um, I don't think either, as a result of the unspoken alliance between Israel and the Russian Federation, that if there were a war on Iran, that Iran would attack Israel. They will attack 
U.S. facilities in the Persian Gulf. That is clear, which is just across, across the Persian Gulf. It's a very short distance. Unless, unless of course, if, if Israel is directly involved in, in aerial bombings, which I think will not happen. Um, to get back to uh, the Pentagon agenda, right now, as I mentioned earlier, it's very unlikely that a, an all-out war can be called for, sort of a blitzkrieg similar to that of Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam. That is out of the question. But what is more likely is a continuation of extreme sanctions uh, as well as other actions and the possibility of, of what, what the Pentagon calls a bloody nose operation, which means that they will go in and, and bomb certain targets in Iran, which may be the nuclear facilities. That is certainly on the drawing board of the Pentagon right now. But even that, I doubt that they would... Well, there are always mistakes, and there are people like Pompeo and Bolton who don't understand, or have limited understanding of military issues. I don't think that that would take place because Iran would immediately start bombing the facilities of the United States in Kuwait and the Persian Gulf. It's practically next door. And, um, well, of course, that would, that would lead to escalation inevitably. But I think what we have to understand now is that uh, mistakes often are the determinants of history. We, we can't exclude the fact that Pompeo or Bolton or Trump might say, well, let's, let's go with it and, and bomb them or select a particular target. That's always a possibility because they have the decision-making powers and they don't necessarily understand the consequences or they don't care. But if they submit it to the U.S. military hierarchy and even to intelligence personnel, I think the consensus would be uh, that's, that's a suicide operation because you won't win that type of war. We, we've seen how the U.S. has, has failed in, in northern Syria, for instance, uh, failed in Yemen. I think one avenue that, that the U.S. is contemplating right now is more of, of a sort of uh, support channel to terrorist organizations, including the MEK, the Makaltra uh, Mujahideen Organization of Iran, which is a terrorist entity. That, I think, is something which they're contemplating. I'm speaking with economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michelle Chosodovsky. Today's show, U.S. foreign policy in shambles, NATO and the Middle East. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. What about the reported July 2016 attempted coup d'etat against Turkish President Erdogan? There were also widespread reports that it was the Russian Federation that tipped off Erdogan in time for him to flee his vacation residence. Assuming that this coup was real and that the U.S. was indeed behind it, 
Wouldn't this event be enough to turn Erdogan against the U.S. and toward Russia? And why would the U.S. have wanted to get rid of Erdogan? Well, I I think uh, certainly that Turkish coup d'etat attempt in July 2016 was uh, pointed to a major turning point. It led to a realignment of alliances almost immediately. We recall that prior to that coup, there was a very strained relationship between Turkey and Russia. And the fact that Turkey was facilitating the entry of um, warships into the Black Sea. And in the wake of that coup, Erdogan, first of all, I think, did, in fact, decide uh, to curtail uh, Turkey's relations with with, um, the United States. There's no doubt about that. It's been done, you know, rather gradually, but... uh, Without getting into the details of what happened, I, I, I certainly think, yes, that was, that was a, a watershed. And uh, President Erdogan did intimate that uh, the United States was complicit in the coup. Okay? He did make that statement uh, that was related to this uh, personality, Fethullah Gulen, who was allegedly behind the failed coup. But quite, as as you suggest, I think that this was the beginning of, well, we're talking about a period of approximately three years. Uh, That was on the 15th of July. That's that's this week. (laughs) So um, in in the matter of three years, the structure of alliances has has evolved. Exactly. And it's interesting that If, in fact, it was uh, Russia that tipped off Erdogan about the coup, uh, Turkey had already shot down a Russian jet, I believe, over Syria. So if Putin was behind tipping off Erdogan, that was a pretty uh, smart move on his part, don't you think? Well, you know... uh... I I think that Putin is a very astute uh, diplomat with a background in, in intelligence. He has managed to establish good personal relations with a number of leaders, including Erdogan. I don't see Turkey, even even if there is some kind of coup, by the United States, uh, I don't see that necessarily leading to a shift in geopolitical alliances. I mean, Turkey has been an ally of, of the United States from the beginning of the Cold War. But this, again, 2016 marks, I think, the beginning of a new structure of alliances. And note, there's a lot more to that. Just recently, President Erdogan was in consultation with leaders of of former Soviet republics. Of course, there's an agenda there in Central Asia. And then also now Turkey is a dialogue partner of the SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. 
Now, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization essentially is dominated by two major countries, is China and Russia. And then you have the former Soviet republics. But now, there are a number of, of countries which are either partners or observers. And it's really evolving towards a shift in alliances. They don't declare themselves as a military alliance, but in de facto they are. The SCO has members from different countries, and then there are military agreements, but they're not officially part of the SCO. Now, Pakistan is a full member of the SCO. India is also a full member, which means that if there are conflicts between India and Pakistan, they have to be monitored under the auspices of the SCO. That's one of their rules. So that, again, both China and Russia now have an inroad into South Asia, well, as it stands, the Modi government in India is building its or renewing its alliance with the United States. But that uh, alliance with the United States is very fragile because if there's a change of government in India, it may, uh, in fact, uh, take on a different course. And they are building a, a military alliance with the United States while at the same time being a full member of the SCO. So it's much, much broader. The, the structure of alliances is, is collapsing. What is unfolding is our new avenues of trade investment, of course, China's Belt and Road, and uh, different alignments of, of many countries which are moving away from the West and establishing or inserting themselves into this Eurasian project. I think that, again, if Turkey withdraws from NATO, further changes will occur within the European landscape with countries possibly withdrawing from the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. In your article, As Russian Missiles Arrive in Turkey... Erdogan crosses a Rubicon, you write that, quote, Turkey's de facto exit from NATO points to an historical shift in the structure of military alliances, which could potentially contribute to weakening U.S. hegemony in the Middle East, as well as creating conditions which could lead to a breakup of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO. How important to the survival of NATO is Turkey? Well, it, it's, it's very important because Turkey is, after the United States, is the NATO heavyweight. Its conventional forces are significant, even when compared to countries like Germany and France and Britain. They have the largest conventional forces of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Um, if NATO is to be involved in a U.S.-led war in the Middle East, the only NATO member state which has a foot in the Middle East is Turkey. And consequently, I, I'm saying again, it is very difficult for the United States to build a, a cohesive alliance directed against Iran uh, without Turkey uh, within the NATO structure. If we compare... NATO's posture with regard to Russia in Eastern Europe, it's much more cohesive. 
okay? And the discourse is more cohesive. But that could crack as well. Within NATO, there is a, sort of a consensus, but it's, it's a propaganda initiative, in fact, because we are persistently told that Russia is going to invade the European Union. Okay? People are led to believe that they have to defend the European Union against Russian aggression. But that, that discourse is far more cohesive within the European landscape than it is within the, the Middle East landscape. U.S. is relying on its partners in the European Union, particularly Germany and France and Britain as well, but Britain is in turmoil at present. As far as building a set of, of alliances with regard to the Middle East, uh, they're in a bind. And they're in a bind because Turkey is sleeping with the enemy and, uh, and members of the Gulf Cooperation Council are also sleeping with the enemy and Pakistan is sleeping with the enemy. So there we are. Did we ever have any understanding of why the United States wanted to depose Erdogan? I never understood that. Well, I think that Erdogan, well, let, let, let me go back a little bit. Um, this goes back to uh, quite a number of years. Uh, the United States had envisaged a redefinition of the borders of the Middle East. It was called the New Middle East. And they had established a map which uh, essentially provided the structure of what the Middle East should look like. This map, I think, was first published, well, it was more than 10 years ago. It was in, in uh, 2006. It was a map by Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters, but it was published in the Armed Forces Journal. It was presented in the National War Academy. It was used for teaching purposes. And apparently what happened is that this was also used in NATO workshops of, uh, we're talking about military doctrine, because this map essentially carves Turkey into half. It has Turkey, and then it has Free Kurdistan. And the Free Kurdistan is made up of Kurds from Iraq, Turkey, and Iran. So they, they've created a new country. The U.S. project was ultimately to balkanize the Middle East into smaller countries, a bit what they did in the Balkans, so that you had Arab Shia state, the Sunni state, the Free Kurdistan, uh, the Islamic sacred state of um, Saudi Arabia, uh, and so on. That map is, is well known in um, military circles. It, it's been analyzed. But essentially, Turkey's resentment in relation to to the United States is that essentially they want to carve up Turkey. And uh, Erdogan's project is the Greater Ottoman. It's an extension of Turkish influence beyond Turkish borders, and it certainly would not accept any carving up of, of the national territory of Turkey. In fact, if you look at that map, uh, that was a U.S. War Academy map, uh, they cut it in half. So that, that's the background. 
they were privy to the fact that there were documents which pointed America's intent to ultimately carve up Turkey in the same way as they carved up Yugoslavia. I, I understood that at one point that that map was brought to the consideration of members of staff of NATO and the Turkish delegation to that venue walked out when they saw the map. They were absolutely, uh, they, were, they were very offended. Michel Chosodovsky, thank you so much. Thank you, delighted. <laughs> thank you very much. I've been speaking with Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show has been U.S. Foreign Policy in Shambles, NATO and the Middle East. Michel Chosodovsky is the founder, director, and editor of the Center for Research on Globalization based in Montreal, Quebec. The Global Research website, globalresearch.ca, publishes news articles, commentary, background research, and analysis. Michel Chosodovsky is the author of 11 books, including The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, America's War on Terrorism, The Globalization of War, and America's Long War Against Humanity. Visit globalresearch.ca. That's globalresearch.ca. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaramako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at GNB Radio. Trying to steal your life, you know what I'm saying? Look what this side just sell.